I went into Bergdorf Goodman, I saw this $4,000 bag. It was extraordinary. So I slammed my American Express card down on the counter and said, yep, I'll have it. And I was, I, I thought, yeah, this is going to make me happy. And I was, I was delirious. I thought, this is it. I have reached the zenith of happiness. And after about 10 minutes, I was back to being just me. Hello and welcome back to How To Be Happy, a podcast where we explore all the ways that we can live a happier life. Each week we're talking to happiness experts, some celebrities and ordinary people to see if they have a secret to getting more joy out of life. This week, we're interested to find out whether money can buy happiness. And later in the show, we're joined by designer Alana Hill, who shares her secrets for happiness and whether she found it in an expensive handbag. But first, producer Nina is joining me for a chat. Nina, are you a material girl? I am, Kate. I am I am glitter and sparkles and diamonds. You are. I'm not sure diamonds. Are they diamantes <laughs> on the front of your shirt today? Wow. Way to call me out. This could be real diamonds. Oh, it could be. Uh, so tell me, like, do you find happiness when you purchase things? I definitely did when I had less money. Mm, okay. I'm I not sure like I understand that. Explain that. <laughs> when, you, when you are focusing on that big purchase and you're sort of working towards it and you're putting your, your effort into it mm. and you finally get it, I think you do get some satisfaction from that. And then as I got older and I got more and more money to spend, I have a huge amount, I'm a journalist. (laughs) (laughs) But like comparatively. Comparatively, suddenly just like being able to just sort of drop 100 bucks on something Mm. just doesn't have that same sort of reward feeling that it had before. Mm. Did you find that? Yeah, I think that the more, yeah, I think that's probably true. I think the more that you have to work for something that you buy, the more meaning it has. But I do think that uh, over time, anything you purchase is just you you stop thinking about it as being great I mean it might be a new car I don't have a new car I think if I had a new car right now I'd feel really super happy yeah but how long would I be happy for would I be happy for a week probably longer it's a big purchase probably be happy a month maybe even two months three months I tell you what my dog made me really happy and we did spend some money getting it from the pound does that count as a material purchase no the dog's not material (laughs) okay well see my dogs is we got our dog two years ago she still makes me very happy so that's a purchase that has has brought a long term a level of happiness i'm trying to think whether there's anything else that i've purchased recently that has brought me a lot of happiness i I think that it's pretty fleeting i really do What's your? What's Which isn't your, to say that it's not really unreal. What's your go-to sort of self-care happy purchase? Is there anything? Probably at the moment, like a sundress mm-hmm. purchased online. <laughs> My husband did say recently, "Do you need any more sundresses?" I'm like, probably not. It's not about what you need. I went to um, I went to a couple of awards shows last year for podcasts that I was nominated for. Oh. And since then, I've been... Tell us more. <laughs> since then, I've been still like, I'll be like, that dress would be good for an awards show. Ooh, and my so now you're, bu- like, now you're buying yeah. formal, formal outfits. Yeah, I'm buying formal outfits for anticipated awards shows. And my partner is like, I'm really sorry to say this, you're not nominated. I think that's amazing. Awards. I think that's amazing. That's a really great way to like potentially get yourself nominated for an award. Oh, you think it's manifesting? I think you're expecting and you're manifesting an award in next year yeah okay probably 
probably for this podcast. Probably. I hey. Mean, you've got the dress. I've <laughs> <laughs> got the dress. I did find, um, and I don't know if this is a reflection of sort of being unhappy or being stressed, that my sort of material spending went up through 2020. Did you find that? Oh, 100%. And I think it's the on, I think it is because online is sort of, you know, it, it became a necessity. Obviously, it, I'd shopped online before, but I think just that sort of people reducing their shipping limits and, mm. you know, free delivery. I think it just became much more part of our, you know, vernacular to to do that. And boredom as well. I feel like sometimes it feels like you're doing something Mm. if you're purchasing something, even though you're not. No, you're not. You're just spending money. But no, I I think you're right. And it does bring that little sort of salve of happiness, that little sort of, like I call it the donut effect. You know, you have a donut, you feel unreal. This is amazing, but it's not really that good for you. Just a (laughs) short-term dopamine. It's a very short-term win. Alana Hill is an iconic designer, best-selling author and all-round Aussie icon, and she's also a really great lady. In her new book, The Handbag of Happiness, she explores the highs and lows of her life and fame and her journey to finding joy. Alana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Can I can I open with a with a curly one? Is it true really that you are never seen without full makeup? Oh, love, yes, that's an, that's an old story. I've, um, I've, I've been wearing makeup since I was 11 and no one has ever seen me, nobody. They think they have. Has your son seen you without makeup? Yes, so it is a great story where Edward, um, he was about, maybe he was three, and I took the risk one day of, of going, of carrying him up to bed without any makeup on. Um, and I took him up the stairs and popped him into bed and he opened his eyes and looked at me and said, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And I was, I was shattered. But I've, I've worn it as a mask for a long, long period of time. And it's the, even though I'm reinvented after writing Butterfly and a Pin and my new book, um, The Handbag of Happiness, I still cling on to a few, um, a few props that I need to... to to get past in life. It feels like you'd have to always be up first in the morning, which would be where it where it did me in. Well, I've been, I've been in a relationship with someone, my boyfriend, for 10 years, and he, I'm a lot more casual about it. He's never seen me without it because I sleep in it. But I do get up at about six anyway, and I don't, I'm mean, only stay, I, I don't um, believe in living with boyfriends, husbands. I think we all need a room of our own. So uh, he has his own place, which is um, seven doors up from me, eight doors up from me. And there's a chapter in the story called Living as, uh, as Lats, which is living apart together. And you never, ever, ever, ever should move in or share your money with a man. I think, or, it, or I, I think it's very sensible, living close Thank by, you, living close by but not on top of each other, so to speak. It yes, sounds like that, the key that, to lasting love. It is. It's it's the key, one of the key chapters in that in the book. Actually, it's called the Cardigan of Solitude, and it excra- explains how we as humans, and especially women, we all need a room of our own. And it can't be in the same house or the same apartment. You need a room where you can, you know, regroup and get to know yourself again. And 
and no one wants to see someone seven nights a week. So, Alani, you just don't. You just... your book, Handbag of, of Happiness, congratulations. It's a it's a great yes. book, and, and I felt like it, it, it seems very personal. It's certainly, um, um, it's very intimate. It's you, your voice, yes, I think. Does. Yeah, I feel like your voice really, really, really shines through in that. I mean, we don't know each other, but there's a sense of, of mm. knowing a bit about you emotionally from the book. And I I've guess I guess that's sort of what we want to talk about on this podcast, because this podcast is about happiness and, and how to be happy and how to live life. Um, and you, it's not quite a self-help book, is it? It's, it's, in fact, it's a bit of an anti-self-help book, but it's, it's sort of part memoir, but it, but it does definitely talk about your way of living life. There's a little, there's a little bit of guidance there on how to live a good life. What, what do you, was that what you planned? No, I actually planned a, um, an anti-self-help book because I, I wanted to remind myself and readers that we're all paddling underneath we're all just getting by. We're all – life is quite hard. And I, I call it paddling underneath because we're just um, – our daily life is quite is full of quite a lot of struggles. And I also wanted to show women how sometimes being a little bit wrong can be so very, very right. And because I'm a bit un-PC and all the self-help books with the self-platitudes the, the platitudes and the – you know, you can do it and look at yourself in the mirror every morning and tell, say that you're beautiful. It doesn't really work. And people will – I'd read a self-help book and think, yep, I will climb the Himalayas. I will go to yoga in the morning at 5 o'clock. I'll do Pilates. Then I'll only eat kale. And then there'll be no alcohol, drug, sex or any sort of drug because they, they make it – I know that's extreme, but I would read them and think, yeah, that all sounds great. Close the book and just go straight back to my bad habits, which mm. was the next day. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons I wrote it as well is that even as we get older, we still make the same mistakes where you, you can't put a young, a wise head on young shoulders. We're all having trouble with our teenagers. Um, each story is, a, um, is an emotion with a, an item of clothing, like the, the bathing costume of calamity, the collar of disdain, the killer heel of utopia, um, the blessing gown of silent sadness. So each one is. Do you get the vibe there, love? Yeah. Can you see the vibe? Yeah. That, yeah, and I think, and I think, look, obviously, the title "Handbag of Happiness" is is one of the is one of the great chapters where you talk about buying a designer handbag that. I guess embodies all of those things that people think will bring them happiness, um, an item of prestige. But but what what's the result really? <laughs> well, love uh, the 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 real the, the longer title on the book is um, another misunderstandings, misdemeanors, and misadventures, and that's what I think happiness is all involved with. Because I think the pursuit of happiness in itself is quite a thankless, long, arduous task, and I think. We all have been conditioned to think we've got to be happy, I've got to be happy, I'm not happy, I don't feel happy, I, I will be happy if I buy that handbag. And so everybody sort of knows that happiness, you can't be happy all the time. You, you, there are moments when a lot of the time we're just content or, or, or a bit, maybe a five out of ten. But to be, when we're really happy, we don't even really remember it because we're so busy being happy, we forget about it and it's only like three days later when we're really, really depressed that we think, I was happy three days ago and I didn't even enjoy it because I couldn't, I was too busy being happy. And so it's quite, I know it's quite paradoxical, but when I, I actually thought, you know, I think it all the time, I think, 
if I buy that, I'll be happy. If I buy this, I'll be happy. But my big splurge and what, what the first chapter was really about is how I thought I was a posh woman. I was not a successful, running a successful business, but I was, uh, you know, I had a Mercedes. I was as posh as anything, but I was designer deprived. I didn't have any Dolce Gabbana. I didn't have any Louis Vuitton. I didn't believe in spending a lot of money on accessories. And I spent money on kitchens and redoing bathrooms in pink marble. And the idea of an expensive handbag, I just thought, no, I wouldn't, couldn't be seen with a private handbag. But then I went to, I was in New York on a buying trip. I went into Bergdorf Goodman. I saw this sparkly Miu Miu, $4,000 bag. It was kid leather inside. It had an incredible silver clasp. It glittered. You know, not those cheap glittery ones. Mm. You, you, you rubbed it up one way and it glittered and you put it down the other way and it, and it was just a subtle, gorgeous. It was extraordinary. So I slammed my American Express uh, card down on the table on the c- counter and said, yep, I'll have it. And I was. I, I, I thought, yeah, this is going to make me happy. And I was. I was delirious. I thought, this is it. I have reached the zenith of happiness. <laughs> Elevated myself up into almost, you know, to the Bergdorf Goodman restaurant. I basically flew up there. And after about 10 minutes, I was back to being just me. Yeah. Because that is, you know, you take yourself wherever you go. And I think, you know, without giving away too much about what the stories are about, there's happiness, I think, is we only get 10 minutes of it at a time. But I think the, you know, the minutes and the seconds circling those 10 minutes they're what they're what we're striving for. It's a bit of and a it's a bit of a theme in your book that you take yourself wherever you go, and it is such it is. it's great advice. I've given that to my kids too. Sometimes, as you know, yes. when when they're young, they sort of think, "Oh, if I do this or if I change this," it's like you still have yourself to deal with. Oh, you do love, and yourself is very um. You know, even even you know, you show me a uh, a girl when she's seven, and I'll show you the woman, and show me a boy when he's seven, and I'll show you the man, and the problem all starts. I don't know, this is terrible, but without you know, without you've got to really learn to to fix the screen within yourself. I think before you have children, mm. and most of us don't learn to fix the screen within ourselves. So we pass that scream on to our children. And before we know it, we're, we're all screaming demons because you just, <laughs> you know, we're, you, you can't be, you know, you, people can't get fixed. People can't. Um, some people are generally, you know, just have a malaise about them. And I, I wanted them to know that that's, you know, I, I, I do as well. Even though I, I come up, I, I can... I wouldn't. I really hate the question when people say, "You must be happy. You must be happy. You've got it. You've got a, you know, a, 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 an eighteen-year-old child. He's adorable. You've got it. You've run a successful business. You've written two books. You're about to turn one into a film. You must be thrilled." And I thought, for ten minutes, mm. I was very happy with it all. But for, you know, for, for ten minutes, I'm happy with it. For ten minutes in the day, because when they're teenagers, it's very hard to be happy with a teenager for more than. Too. Some people aren't happy with their teenagers <laughs> for the entire, for the entire. In fact, I'm just going to say it. it it's it, it, people. We all think, uh, we all think, I'm going to be happy when I have a child. I will be happy when I have a child, and 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 we really are. But it, no one, you, you can never repeat yourself with the unhappiness <laughs> and the happiness. But the, but the the genuine genuine unhappiness, and I think a lot of women who have got teenagers. 
don't talk about it. Mm. I think we're all a bit scared to admit it. That's the heartbreak and heartache of when they let us go mm. and we know that they, we love them more than they love us until we're dead. They love us when we're dead. But that heartbreak is um, can cause a lot of unhappiness that I don't think even women are, are aware of. What's the other side? What's the other side of it, Alana? You know, you you sound like you've got a, a close relationship with your son, although you know, as as you've said, teenagers can can be difficult. I'm sure. What what sort of lessons or life lessons do you hope that when Ed has finally broken free of the apron strings, that that he that he learnt from you? Because surely you, you must have taught him some great life lessons. Oh, look. I have, and it's just been him and I. Like I've, uh, my sister helped me raise him for fourteen years, but we don't speak anymore since the first book. So it's, it's, you know, it's just Ed and I, and he's, and we are really close. But he's a Scorpio, and he's, you know, he's. I know he's got a wild spirit, and so I think my biggest piece of advice would be to. Is it advice I'm giving? Is it because I've, I've, I've gone off with my own little Alana Oprah world here? You can give us your best pieces of advice, absolutely. Oh, I will love. And then, look, they're not, they're, they're, not, they're not as PC as you'd like, but I will, I will, go, I will go forth. And I've never, I don't think I've ever shared this story before. And it's, a, it's, it's the one where when you realise that your child – is drinking because they're all drinking. When you realise that they're that they're trying out drugs because they're all trying out drugs, um, I think the biggest lesson I learned was when it, it, when I got, when I found out, I was devastated. I was horrified. He was you know fifteen and smoking bloody pot. Um, so what I did was I horrified myself and thought I'll try something else. And I said, all right, Ed. If that's what is, is that really what you're going to do? And he said, Mum, you can be a cool mum or an FBI mum. Which sort of mum do you want to be? And I thought, God, what's, the, what's a cool mum? What's an FBI mum? And I said, Oh, he said, You've been an FBI mum, and I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to spend our our life with lies. So I want to be really honest with you. I do like pot. I will continue to smoke it. I will um, lie to you. And, I, and he said, but you could be cool about it. And I said, what, what would I have to do? And he said, um, allow me to smoke it and not, not. So I thought, all right then, because he'd been going missing at weekends mm. for days. And I thought, I said, bring them all home, Ed. Bring your friends home. I will, um, you, can, you can have it in the house. I don't want you being in the city. And, um, and for about three weeks, three weekends, I was, it was just horrifying. There was noodles everywhere. There was, <laughs> yeah, was magic noodles. There was pizza boxes. And I was tiptoeing around trying to be sort of, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool. Because I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't do any of it. And then the trick is you walk in and you just say, I might have a bit. Thank you. I have a bit. And so you have a little, and they go, oh, it's so uncool. Then you let them know, you, you show them videos and you let them know that it's the start of madness, that it can, uh, uh, if anyone's got, um, you know, schizophrenia in the family, it can, it can trigger things. I would take them, the friends, to they, they to McDonald's drive-through because 
on a Saturday night, there's always a long queue. So you have to wait. And that's where you get a lot of information from them in the car through the driveway. So yeah, I'd be that's true. being a cool mum and telling them things. And then luckily for me, um, Ed came home one day and he said, I'm not having a, I'm not I'm not having any fun with it, Mum. It's not as fun as it used to be. I can now that you've sort of said I can do it, it's not that much fun and I don't like it's just not making me laugh anymore. By that stage I'd had a little bit too many pups and I was like <laughs> But you don't want it in the house at all. Like not at all in the house. I said, no. I said like, not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Not even a bit for mum. But that I think I think the thing is there is not that that was a that was a big um, risk and I haven't I hope I don't put lessons off by thinking I'm a loose mum because I still even though he's just turned nineteen and keeping them close is is letting them be themselves yeah and I could see that Ed was I could see he was a willful spirit I could see he didn't like studying and he didn't like um, you know he, he was he was very particular and he was I, I I could see when he said it made him happy I thought. And no matter what I said, it wasn't going to work. So I think being letting, allowing him to be honest with you, and then and, and, it, and it can be, you know. And of course, I wouldn't. On the upside of that, the downside of that is I would not allow a girl to stay the night here that he didn't love. I'm not prepared to leave him smoke pot, but I wouldn't let him. He knows that you know smoking's okay. No, no sex. It was more that I didn't want him to think that um, to, to pick, picking up girls because these young people that they get drunk and the girls. I really worry about them. So he's, he's what I've really taught him, I think, is respect for, for women and not to. I've told him that casual sex is really bad, <laughs> Just, and it gets people into trouble. And he's he's quite terrified of that. So it's quite good. Alana, can I ask you a little bit about what you refer to earlier as the m- malaise? You you again you have you you have a very um, interesting way of of dealing with that you you sort of it's almost like you give yourself a a time limit to deal with that you sort of put yourself away in a room it's a what is it four days i do i think that um when the blues descend upon us and we just don't and and they do i what i do is put on in one of the chapters it's called the blessing gown of silent sadness i put um i can feel the storm clouds coming and and I don't like calling it depression. I, I just think it's a it's it's a it's a malaise, like a it's a French word for it's a French word for depression actually, the malaise. But it's 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 more of a you know a lot of people go out and when they feel that malaise coming, they they take drugs, they go out and drink, or they, they push they, themselves, they, or... they force themselves to be with people. They think oh, I've got to go out, I've got to run from this, I've got mm. to run from the. Mm. I've got to run from my malaise. And usually what you're running from is something in the past mm. or something that you're not running from the – you're rarely running from the future. It's, it's something from the past that's threatening your future or your very presence. Oh, I do sound like Oprah, really. I really should have my own podcast. Um, uh, you need your so own what, talk show. So what I do is I um, I know myself, you know, you've got to – know yourself and getting to know yourself means that you have to learn how to be alone and so many people are afraid of being alone that they never learn to be alone so they run all their life because the only way to learn to be alone is to be alone and so I I feel the storm clouds coming I usually maybe have a bit of a fight with Hugo deliberately so he'll disappear for three days 
and it doesn't take much to to have a fight with a moody musician. Yeah. You just have to maybe <laughs> say one of their songs isn't right, and then they disappear. And so, and then I explained to Ed. I said, I might be a bit sound, a bit down today, and he loves that. He goes, oh, because there's no pressure on him. He goes, oh, really? So no talking, no nattering, no. You're not going to make me watch anything with you or read out a chapter. And I said, no, no, no. Ed. And he's always thrilled with it. And I just put on the blessing gown of silent sadness. I sweep. I never lie in bed. I think the biggest mistake people make when they've got the silent sadness is to loll around in bed. You have to get up for, and make the bed and, and make sure you've got a lot of pillows in it because it's very hard to get back into a bed if it's beautifully made. Mm. So you make the bed and then I oh, I, I try to think, oh, this is, oh, I can get out of this. This is, just, this is ridiculous. I can, move, I can move on from this. But you also talk about, like, you talk about packing your house up with, with foods and things like that. What struck me most about the whole thing was was your self-care because it, it struck me as this is a, a sort of almost a, a system or a, a regimen that you've worked out over years that is about looking after yourself at this time when you're feeling very vulnerable and that you, you go off and you take care of yourself for four days and if that means not speaking and sweeping and cleaning it's probably, out. The- it's probably about three and, it, and, it's, and what I do is, is you know, I, I go to the store and I stock up on the mini magnums. I, um, I buy a banana and a few little things that I know I won't eat and just the, it's just the process of doing it. Mm. I will, um, sometimes I re-dye my hair or, um, and I will, but I'm always dressed up. I always make sure I'm dressed up because if you're down and and, and you walk past a mirror, you, you know, you, it's going to depress you if you're not made up. So that's why I, I, no matter how, no matter how bad I am, I will sit there and redo my makeup, which is a lot of women are scared to do that. But looking at yourself in the mirror and and getting to know your face again, and it's not really makeup to me. It's like um reinventing myself again so tell me a, tell me a little bit about that because you say that you've you know you've always worn this this mask of makeup and mm. you know it, it's 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 funny because you you worked in a really sort of fabulous and or you know fabulous and sort of glamorous industry the fashion industry but you sort of talk about you know not being interested in it at all really and in all that sort of social part was that do you is it a fake world I'm not necessarily talking about fashion per se but the whole world that glamour industry of makeup and and fashion and now influencers and Instagram is it a fake world are people pretending depending what you mean by fake love um depending what you mean by fake because it I think you know there's it's a it's hard to say it's fake when fashion is like a squillion billion dollar business Mm. and I and I but I think it's fake. I think you're meaning fake, as in the air kisses and the no, no empathy. Well, that and the, seems to. Be, is that the bit that you that you disliked? That social part of it. I think that's everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think if I think that's why I've, I avoid all social situations because I can't stand small talk. Mm-hmm. I can't stand. Not that, you know, and I, I get, and so I go the other way. If someone says how are you and, and looks away, like because you know they don't really care. Mm-hmm. I'll say I'm not very good. I'm not very good. You wouldn't believe what happened to me yesterday. And then they, then, then I they're forced to engage. Deal with it that way. I've, yeah, and then they, then I force them to be real. And before you know it, they're telling me that they're just about to divorce their husbands, and I'm encouraging them to do it. I said that because <laughs> you know I've, I've drawn them out. I've said you're not that. Because I said, how are you? And they say good. I said, 
you can't be. No one's good. And they go, no, I'm, I'm all right. No, you know, you're not all right. <laughs> and then before, and, and and I've drilled them down to my level, and we're both down, and then we can lift our, ourselves back up. It's, it's part of um. You're the anti-therapist. You know, mis- <laughs> well, misery loves company. Misery loves company. Yeah, I am the anti-therapist. I, I make them, and then I also share. You know, I'm I'm very very happy to share. There's nothing I won't answer. So it's not like I'm. I'm not sticky beaking for the sake of it. I'm hoping I'm, I'm reigniting some terrible trauma in them that they're going to have to deal with for the rest of their life because I had the gall to say, I don't think you're all right. But I, put, I, put, I feel like I put them on a steady path to reinvention. Do you have yeah. a lot of friends? No. And that- <laughs> that's, a flat out. <laughs> that's, a, that's a no because <laughs> – that worried you because I knew you were thinking, oh, I wouldn't want to be her friend. She, no, she, she'd I'm, be a cu- I'm just friend. curious. Some people, for them, that's their secret to, to you know, to living a happy life. I don't think there's a wrong or right. I'm just curious with you. You you obviously like to spend a lot of time alone. It's important to you. But is is friendship, do you have a lot of friends? Do you have people that you turn to or do you mostly just rely on yourself? Well, I I think because I, I, I had such a – an abusive, traumatic, um, loveless, un- un- unloved childhood that I didn't know I was having until it was well over and I started repeating dreadful patterns, you know, when I was 17 and 18 and thinking, what the hell is wrong with me? Mm. And apparently it's all due to, the, you know, the traumatic, abusive childhood and, of course, it is, but I didn't know that at the time. And so I um, – because I uh, – because I've only really had two jobs, which was Indigo at Alana Hill for 16 years and then uh, Alana Hill itself for another 18 years. And because I was so not, not, not ambitious, because I was creating a brand, there was really no time for friends. I convinced myself there was no time for friends and my friends were in the workplace. I was so close to them. I'd do anything for them. They were close to me. Mm. And when one would leave, I'd, I'd be so devastated. So everything was, my whole life was at work. And so when I, um, it all ended up with legal letters at Lana Hill, I realised I didn't have anybody. For, so for people who don't realise, and we don't need yeah. to go down the track, but you, you're no longer no. part of the Lana Hill label still exists, but you're no longer part of it. That's that's a no. that, and it is my name. And it is my. Is that hard for you? Is that is that a bit? Is that hard for you to to see that? It's um. It's. I'll be honest with you, but when that Alana Hill was so, you know, it was it was my. I'd been dreaming about that. That brand for reinvention since I was abused when I was 11, eleven. You know, I draped myself in curtains, and a lot of people thought I was really interested in fashion, but I was actually interested in dressing women up and. And making them feel better, and and maybe not covering or hiding or masking, but putting your best foot forward and putting a great outfit on, and feeling that you've won half the battle when you mm. do that. So leaving, I didn't really actually. Who leaves a the brand that they <laughs> invented with a massive wage, and and a lot of people thought I owned Alana Hill, but you know I didn't. So leaving there, I think that was. I probably still will never recover from that because it filled every gap for happiness for me. I could I could, I could create clothing. I um, put on big fashion parades. I was the star of the show. I was I was the 
That was it. I was, the head of, I was head of the Girl Guides. So that was and will remain a very, um, a very. I can't, I can't even put it into words. It was, it was incredibly. Part of me was in, was was sad and lost and lonely and it was de- dreadful, but the other part of me thought, "I'll show you." Is your new label is is it a salve? I know you've got it on hold at the moment, but is that has that been a a, a sort of a well, salvation from that, that? Well, I with the Lani Hall thing ended. I thought I'll show you, and I'll I'll start a new brand called Louise Love, and unfortunately. No one really knows Louise Love on the internet. You're just another startup brand because mm. you, you're, you're not allowed to use your name. Not only have Louise Love by Lani Hill. Mm. So that was um, I was I, got, I used to get really pissed off. Mm. I think oh well, I'll make I'll make um, Lani Hill sunglasses. And I think I can't. Mm. I can't use my name. What the hell am I going? to – And then the, the the one thing I was allowed to use my name for is what I agreed to was to write a book. But I've written two and I still haven't had a legal letter for about the second one. So Alani Hill is actually, I think, closed up now. I think Factory X is, I think he's just running Gorman. And, but the, 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 big, the big pleasure was, and I know this is a little bit awful, but <laughs> was watching them, watching them, even though they were making clothes and my name was on it and everyone thought it was me and they were all turning from silk to polyester and it mm. was looking just like a, a train smash. Mm. I knew that they weren't, you know, shops were closing down and and I knew they weren't rocketing ahead. If they were skyrocketing ahead and doing incredibly well, I don't think I, I don't know what I would have done. Mm. But because that, it, 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 it couldn't work without me and, and I think that people at Factory X thought it could because they're men and men often make mistakes that they shouldn't <laughs> think they think they know best. Yeah, well, they do. Rev- and that, in fact, it was very it was all was very much a man. It was a big boys club. That was it was all run by men. And I look. I read that you know that Louise Love. That one of the reasons you sort of have put that on hold was that you had a, a cancer scare um, recently. Oh yes, I got and the I, cancer. And then I and then I and then I read about it. I read you you actually had a toe removed. Alana, without Thank being you. without being glib, how do you get a melanoma on your toe? How does how does that happen? Is that Isn't years that of is that years of open toe sandals? How does that how does that happen? Did you say open toe sandals? Yes. <laughs> Did you say? Have you read the Killer Heel of Utopia in my book, dear? Have you read how I judge people by their shoes? Do you think I'd be the proper person to All wear? All right. Well, open- if you're always wearing closed toe closed toe shoes, how do you get a melanoma on your toe? Remarkable. I've got a lot of freckles because I've got I've got a lot of freckles, but my feet have never seen the sun. They are pristine white, and because I broke <clears throat> I broke my toe by by kicking the um I was I, I, we had a new puppy and I just gave him a little bit of I just I didn't kick him because I love him Jack, but I just kicked the air and I'm like get out of the way, but I kicked the I kicked my toe into the side board and um the only reason I went to the doctor was because I thought my toe was broken and it was I had noticed on the fourth toe what I considered to be quite a large brown freckle and I thought I don't know how that freckle got there and I'd watched it over six months getting a bit bigger thought nothing of it so when my toe broke and I went to the doctor he said I I don't like what's on your fourth toe I said either do I you need to remove it immediately get it's it's a freckle and he said might do a biopsy I said what what for it's a freckle look at the ball I'm covered how did it get there and so he did a biopsy and then they rang two days later and said, look, can you come in? I said, oh, because you know that tone. And yeah. I said, have I got the cancer? <laughs> the cancer. 
and they said, they said, can you come in now? And I said, I'm not coming in until, until you tell me if I've got cancer or not. And I turned it into a joke. And they said, well, you do. And I thought, and oh. because I'm a bit positive, I thought, what's the upside? I've got to think of the upside. The upside is that, you know, Louise Love was doing really well, but it was just me. Mm. And unfortunately, I needed a David from Factory X because I needed a, a money person because I was spending like thousands, millions on, on lace and, and cashmere. And and so I, I um, that was the upside of it. And then he, the next day I was in hospital and they... They, don't, they just tell you when you go under, they're just going to keep cutting. They, they, they don't know how far the, the cancer had gone, but it was, it was very minimal, so they took the toe off. And they took the entire toe? Did they ever well, they say before it, you they, went into surgery what, that they were going to take your entire toe? Yeah, they said they might take two. Oh. They said there might have to be two, and I said, well, I'll be able to walk in high heels. I mean, what's going on? And he so woke up with the one bit, and... and what they'd done while I was under is that they decided to fashion me a new toe out of um, the skin from around the groin of my, you know, around our groin. So I hate that word groin. It's a terrible word. But he thought that he, because that skin stretches. So he thought he'd fashion a toe out of that skin and he put that little blob on my fourth How's toe. How's it look? How's it looking? And guess what grows, guess what's growing out of there, love? What? Where did he get the skin from? <sighs> <laughs> Thank you. Pussyfoot. Pussyfoot. <laughs> oh, my God, so Alana. I spent, I spent a lot of lockdown trying to work out. Because I wouldn't say there was a bush. It's not a bush. It's not bushy. So I don't want people to think I've got a bush on my toe. And I I don't know. Um, it's it's Look, I just put a bit, little bit of nair, nair on it. But it's just disturbing and... And no one has to say it because, of course, I wouldn't wear an open toe sandal and I wouldn't wear a thong. Love. I'm so apologetic no for suggesting that you would ever wear an open toe sandal. What shoe are you wearing at the moment, love? Oh, my What's God, your you're going to be moment? really upset. Yeah, if it's a clog, you're, you're doomed. It's a sneaker. It's a sand shoe. And you know what my daughter last night, she's a little bit, I, I don't know, she's just good with things. And I sort of said... What am I going to wear tomorrow, Harriet? Just because she was in my room. I said, what about this skirt? She said, that's yep. fine. She said, I what think just say? a white tee. I didn't take her instructions. I wore a black tee. And then I said, with sneakers. And she goes, oh, a bit casual, mum. You're already a bit casual with the white T-shirt. Maybe a bit of a, a, bit of a, a beige heel. And I ignored that too. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes comfort, Alana. I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> You can't see the oh, look. Love, uh, you, no one can see the look on Alana's face, but her her face no, is showing a mix of just sadness for me. <laughs> there's, there's two chapters in there. One's about the um, it's called the Kill Hill of Utopia, and the other one's the Runner of Descent, and it's about how we judge people by our shoe. We judge people by their shoes, and I'm judge mad. I'm, I'm judgmental mad. Like if I think I, I, I well, I read a little bit out about the shoe. Well, we pro- we pro- look. No, we probably don't have time, and I also think that people no, probably no need to go out and get the book. It is a beautiful book, Alana. I really, I meant that, and maybe that was—I don't know if that word was the wrong word—but when I say intimate, I, I, I felt your 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 voice comes through very clearly. Your there's something very um, lo- 
lovely and 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 vulnerable about you but also very strong and I just one of the things I loved and which I think I'll I'll talk to as I said I've got teenage girls myself and so we talk about all these sort of things all the time is where you say um and I can't remember what what chapter it was from but you said spiritual growth happens when you're forced to navigate the road ahead and I think you even said even when it's 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 scary and that's what really comes to me from your book is that you're a person of of resilience and and strength who's really tried to just keep charting a good life and I know that you your your name is is such a household name for Australians and and I hope that you Mm. you you take that is that you've you've left such a beautiful legacy on Australian fashion. People will remember you for many, many years to come, Alana, if not for your fashion, oh, God, but for, for your two beautiful books. I needed to hear that today, love, because you'd be surprised, but I'm paddling underneath today. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm having one of those days where I think, oh, but you've but you've cheered me up immensely. I've, I've loved this talk. I've it's loved been it great. too. And, and I really, and I'm really, um, I, I'm really proud of the book because it's very different to Butterfly. That was very dark and and very deep. But this one, I wanted to talk. It's, I wanted to, it to be like you're talking with your, with the best friends that I don't have because I don't have many friends, any friends. But it's me, it's me talking to the best friends and giving advice and also telling, you know, an embarrassing, poignant, funny, sad, hilarious story and getting to to the point of how we deal with shame, how we deal with disappointment. You know how we deal with with our with being human. Yeah, and well, that comes across really clearly. So thank oh, you very so much, Alana. Thank you thank very you. much for your time today. It was really lovely meeting you, and I hope our paths cross again. Not as friends, of course, but just as as no, people, no, who, no. <laughs> just as people who encounter each other on the street. Thank you so much, love. It was great to talk to you, and I hope everybody. Yeah, everybody go out and buy that book for the, for a friend. Every friend needs to needs to read it. They do, they do. Thanks, Alana. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back next week with more insights and stories from Australia's happiest people. Until then, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure you drop us a rating and a review.